I've listened to The Head and the Heart for two years now. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Everybody and welcome back to Spin It, the podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James. With me, as always, is Connor, my co-host. Say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I missed you all. Yeah, I know it's been a long week without you, but not anymore. I didn't say I missed you. I, I said I missed them. Yeah, I know. No, I was saying I missed them too. It's been a long week without the audience. Oh, awkward. Do you know how many people listen to me talk during the week? Like no one. So it's good to have the audience back, who exclusively listen to me talk, and you. I'm forced to listen to you talk, otherwise I don't get to talk. That's why I'm making this podcast, really. It's not so that anyone else listens, it's so that you're my captive audience for an hour every week. <laughs> I'm stuck here, yeah. Well, this week we're talking about The Head and the Heart's debut self-titled album. A little bit of indie folk. Bath. What's that? Bath. Bath? Yeah, The Head and the Heart. Bath. Y- yeah, T-H-A-T-H. Yeah, I guess yeah. it abbreviates to Bath. <laughs> That's how I have them in my notes. They're in my notes as Bath, because I couldn't be bothered to type that out every time. It is a longer band name, I guess. Bath. I can't get over that. Okay, <laughs> another Ted Ed Fred thing, right, where you bring them up and call them Thath the whole way through? Yeah, yeah, at least this one's more accurate. That's true. They're neither Ted nor Ed nor Fred. However, these guys are the head and the heart. They're the Thath. Mm-hmm. A little bit about the Thath. You're not going to get me doing it, too. i got to quit. The head and the heart formed in 2009 up in the Pacific Northwest, you know, the Seattle area. Where Nirvana's from, too, right, is that area? Yeah, they were from northern Washington, too. Aberdeen is Kurt Cobain's hometown. Yeah. A couple fun connections between the head and the heart and Nirvana that you may not expect that we'll talk about in a minute. So the band met at a series of open mic nights in the Seattle area, and they were mostly students or recent college graduates at the time, so they kind of took this name, the head and the heart, because as one of their founding members said, your head is telling you to be stable and find a good job, but you know in your heart that this, this music making is what you're supposed to do, even if it's crazy. So that's a little bit of the origin of their name. It's kind of that conflict between your logic and your emotions. I think most everybody can relate to that. Yeah, I think so. At least if you can't relate, you can understand it. Yeah. The Head and the Heart is the biggest band that we've talked about so far. They've got six members. Well, they did at the time of recording this album. You mean Thath? I'm not even going to entertain that. <laughs> you did a really good job of just plowing right through it, but then you still entertained it by saying you're not going to entertain it. I just needed to <laughs> let you know that I'm not going to respond to that. Six members. All right. The founding pair was Josiah Johnson and Jonathan Russell, and both of them sing and they play guitar and they do some percussion like the tambourines and the shakers and stuff that you hear throughout. And those were the first two members of the band, but in around 2015, Josiah Johnson left for personal reasons and a little bit of like rehab getting clean. He initially thought that it would just be a break from that album cycle and that he would come back, but so far it looks like that departure has been a more permanent thing. I thought I read that he showed back up for a little bit and tried to help write some, and then I guess the creative mindset of the band had shifted away from what he was interested in doing and so he just knew it wasn't a good fit anymore but he initially did try to come back i thought i read 
Yeah, he did. And he actually still shows up sometimes for an occasional performance here or there. Mm. Or he did for a while anyway. You know, we've had two bands in a row that have tried to clean up their act in one way or another. So that's cool. The other members of the band are Charity Rose Thielen, who plays the violin and the guitar, and she sings. There's Chris Zash who plays the bass. Kenny Hensley is on the piano, and Tyler Williams plays the drums. And all of those pieces are such an integral part to this band. Like, if you notice that list there, we have a lot of multi-instrumentalists, and a lot of singers, and a lot of percussionists. So as you listen to this album, that all stands out a ton. There's a lot of tight harmonies, and the handheld percussion. It's really a signature staple, almost, of the sound that they make. Yeah, they definitely have a interesting, I don't want to call it unique sound, but it's, it's a sound that feels unique yeah it's a sound that's really tailored to their specific talents and instruments very indie folk heavy kind of almost new wave americana stuff i think i've read somewhere that somebody compared them to they called them the folksy beatles Ooh, yeah i do kind of like that comparison i think in a lot of ways they've really taken the folk genre to new places at least in the modern time so the head and the heart they're still kind of a newer band they've been around for i mean the last decade but each of their four albums so far has charted in the united states This self-titled debut that we're talking about today reached up to number 109 in the U.S. and number three for folk albums. And it actually went to number 15 in Sweden, which is their only chart position there. I just saw that and thought it was kind of an interesting fact. And their next two releases made it to 10 and number five, respectively. Their most recent, 2019's Living Mirage, topped off at number 16. Interesting. Now, at this point in the episode, if you haven't already figured it out, you should go listen to the album now if you want context for everything we're about to talk about. If you don't care about context and you just want to listen to this first and then go listen to the album, you could do that. But whatever, go check out the music. Highly encouraged, and then you'll totally understand everything we're talking about. Welcome back. I just talked about how I missed you all because it had been a week and then you went and left me again. Well, no, but they left for good reason. Yeah, okay. I'll allow it. I'll allow it, but I'm fragile. Don't leave again. Okay, noted. Yeah, you have to stay now because Connor's poor heart can't take it if you leave again. (laughs) So this album came out in 2011. It's obviously self-titled their debut, and we already talked about their whole style is very indie folk, modern Americana, so it's got a lot of the hallmarks of that with this real pastoral lyricism and this largely acoustic style. It really stands out so far among the records that we've talked about for that. You know, it's a lot more laid back and almost, I don't know, just natural sounding, I guess. Now, here is the fun little Nirvana tie-in. Oh, do tell. This album was released nationally on the label Sub Pop, which is the same indie label that picked up Nirvana for their first album, Bleach. I actually knew that, but didn't make the connection to Nirvana. Yeah, but like what a range between Bleach and this album. I don't think they could be more different. They're pretty different. So kudos to Sub Pop, I guess, for really putting themselves out there. By their third album in 2016, Signs of Light, they would be signed with a major label, Warner Brothers. And so far, all the rest of their releases have also been, you know, major label records. So why'd you pick this album over any of their other albums? Yeah, well, I've listened to all of their other albums, but I figured this would be the one to talk about because, first of all, I like the story behind it. The way that it got released and kind of brought out to be a sub-pop release is really cool. But then also it was the first experience that I had with The Head and the Heart. So it kind of is my favorite for that reason. And it's also just a lot less produced, I guess. It's a lot more of that acoustic feel than a lot of the later albums. I don't know. Their style just changes more in the later albums. And I really like this very first glimpse at them as a band. So that's why I picked this one. And I think that brings us into everyone's favorite trivia game show, Fact or Spin! 
So, Connor, if you could not leave... Hey, it's oh. me! I'm back! Wow, you beat me to it. Yeah, welcome back to the Mixtaper, the host of Factor Spin, as you all know by now, I'm sure. Uh, Connor just wants to let you know that he's still here, he's not abandoned, nobody leave. Nobody leave, Connor's still here. Just because he's not talking doesn't mean you're allowed to leave. Connor will know. Very fragile right now. Yes. I've had to console him all weekend. I didn't realize that you were such a supportive roommate, too. That's really nice. I know you root against me. But it's nice that you can root for Connor. No, 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 no. I console him because I'm evil. Work that one out. Okay, right. <laughs> I was going to ask questions, but I don't think any of the questions that I could ask would get answers. So, well, Mr. Mixtaper, I'm ready for another round of Factor Spin this week. I feel like my A game has been brought, and I'm ready to see what you can throw at me. Yeah. Well, your A game is equivalent to the Mixtaper's, like, my at least, like, J game. But, you know. I just wanted to point out my J game was significantly higher than your A game. J, A, they kind of run. First two letters of your name. That's true. They are. There's got to be something there. I don't know. Listen, whatever game you're playing, get on with it. Let's let's play the game, Mixtaper. Let's play the game of my first fact. Why am I still doing the voice? I've, I've done it again. Uh, my first fact this week is that the song Rivers and Roads is used at the end of season seven, episode 16 of How I Met Your Mother. Oh, well, Mr. Mixtaper, you'll be happy to know that our A and J games are apparently on the same level for this fact because I already know this one. What? Impossible. It, impossible. Yeah, that's right. There's no way that the Mixtaper would pick a fact that you already knew. Well, you must be mistaken. No, I'm a big fan of How I Met Your Mother. You must be thinking of a different indie folk band who has a song in season seven, episode 16 of How I Met Your Mother. Couldn't be the same one. Well, do you know which episode, season seven of episode 16 of How I Met Your Mother is? Oh, you're really putting me on the spot. I already claim to be a fan. Mm -hmm. No, I don't. Not off the top of my head. Know which episode, season seven, episode 16 is. Which one is it? Fake fan. Fake fan. Uh, it's the drunk train episode. Do you know which episode the drunk train episode is? Naturally. Yeah, the drunk train where he has to ride all the way back from New Jersey on the, the 2 a.m. train after all the bars close. It's the one where Barney can't stop talking about Quinn. Yeah. And then that's also the episode where where Robin rejects the proposal from, uh, oh, what's the guy's name? What's the character's name? Kevin. Kevin! It is Kevin. Why can't I think of that? It's also the episode where Ted confesses to Robin that he's still in love with her, and that's when this song plays. Naturally. Yeah, it's a pretty sad song. Yeah, I know that episode. Well, here's a fact for you, Mixtaper. That's not the only thing that the Head and the Heart have had their music in. No, it's not. Well, that's not the only thing that this song specifically has been in. That's true. They've had music featured in the series finale of Chuck, which I guess is showing the age of this music a little bit, isn't it? But it was there. That was this song? Rivers and Roads, you mean, yeah. It's in New Girl. Also this song? They're featured in The Good Doctor. Also this song? <laughs> Sons of Anarchy. Uh, that's a different one. Battle Creek. Yeah, you may recognize some other songs from things like Corona Beer commercials, the trailer for Silver Linings Playbook, from a documentary documentary about ex-NFL player Steve Gleason. I mean, they get around on sync placements. Their music is used in a lot of different media that you might not expect, especially Rivers and Roads, which is, I think, probably their most popular song. I can understand. It's a, it's a good song. Mm -hmm. And it fits really well as like background swelling music or like an emotional scene. So I can get why shows would use it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Mixtaper, in case it wasn't clear, I'm locking in that that's a fact. Well, you've fallen for my trap. I went and changed the Wikipedia page so that you'd fall for this. Ah, okay. no, no, it's That true. doesn't make it less of a fact. It doesn't make it less of a fact. 
It's true. Wikipedia is not a credible source, said every English Let's... teacher I ever took a class with. <laughs> Let's move on to another fact. Hopefully you don't know this one, too, Mr. Know-it-all. All right, all right. what's the second fact? Did you know that the band went on a two-month writing retreat? That sounds like fun. Two-month writing retreat when? Which album were they writing for? It was in between their first album and their second album. Okay. Did they retreat anywhere cool or like just in the Seattle area? It didn't say. Oh. You said they went on a writing retreat. Two months is a long time to be retreated. It is. Do you know what songs came out of this writing retreat? Uh, no, that would have been great information to probably see if I could find. Oh my gosh. <laughs> After the success of their first album, they wanted to buckle down and really pump out a second good album as well. They didn't want their second album to kind of fall flat compared to the first one. Josiah Johnson, right? That's yeah. his name? Yes. He is quoted as saying that the difference between touring in a van and touring in a bus is the hit songs that get played on the radio. Ooh. And so he, they really wanted to buckle down and pump out some more hit songs, you know, so they could continue to be successful and at the front of people's music minds. Yeah, okay. I think the second album is the closest thing in their catalog to matching their first. Their first album is still my personal favorite, but Let's Be Still is a close second. There's not a lot of other information about this fact, so I'm kind of just going to have to go with what you've told me in my gut. And I'm feeling like this is also true. Writing retreats are pretty common, and I can totally understand them wanting to stay on top of their game and really focus in after this first album blew up. Is it true? So you're going with true? I'm locking in fact. Well, this fact is... Spun. It is not true. The quote is true, and I kind of just came up with a lie based off of that quote because I thought that was a really heavy hitting quote. Yeah. And I wanted to include it in some way. Good. Well, I'm glad the quote's at least true. We have that little nugget of truth to hold on to. Yeah. That little nugget of truth. One in one so far. Hit me with fact number three. Fact number three is that the band used to sell their music in denim. Ooh. Okay. Fancy. Not really. <laughs> like a denim album sleeve? Or like, did they just put jeans on all their CDs? So this was back before they were even signed to a record label. Yes. Okay. So what I know about their first record here is that they did have to distribute it themselves before they hit it big and signed with Sub Pop. And I know that they sold almost 10,000 copies I think before Sub Pop even gave them a look. So was this during that period? The 10,000 albums that they sold themselves was in denim. Yes. Yeah, they would burn their album and their music onto CDs. Remember when that was a thing? Burning CDs? Really showing the age of this album. Yeah, they'd burn the music onto CDs and then sell them at their shows. But rather than put them in a CD case with art or whatever, because that probably cost too much money, they would put them in handmade sleeves from their old denim. That is pretty cool. Nothing says indie folk band in the Pacific Northwest like buying an album out of the back of a trunk wrapped in denim. I agree. <laughs> but is it true? That's a very unique trivia tidbit. I think this is true. I think I'm going to lock in that this is a fact. Yeah. Going with true on this one. You've gone with true on every single one so far. That's true. I did. But it worked out for the first one because I knew it. <laughs> well, it is indeed true. Hey, that's awesome. Okay. I actually just put a link in the chat to a picture of them. Oh, there's a picture? I, they posted it on Twitter. Fancy. Okay, that's kind of fancy, I guess. I say it's not really fancy. It's very up-and-coming band trying to do something cool. And I mean, it works. Yeah, but it's cool. Well, imagine having one of those now. Now that they're more famous, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a super cool collectible. Yeah, I agree. I got one more for you. All right, one more. The A game is paying off today. I can feel it. Well, I don't even know. The mixtaper's defeated now. <laughs> I, I've only gotten two out of the three right so far, so there's still a chance that I could go 50-50. 
What is it? Jonathan Russell tore his labrum by reading a book. All right, so the first thing I'm going to need to know about this fact is, what's a labrum? <laughs> uh, it's a shoulder muscle or tendon or thing. It's in the shoulder area. Okay, I don't know what I expected it to I'm, be. I'm, I'm not a doctor. You're right, you're a mixtaper. I am actually a doctor. I got a doctorate in being evil. Oh, <laughs> Time to mixtaper, oh. yeah! <laughs> the mixtaper's legend grows. The canon behind the character of the mixtaper has just been given another chapter. Oh, yeah, you don't just become a super villain overnight. It takes a lot of hard work. You know, I got student loans to pay off. Why do you think I'm doing this podcast? <laughs> yeah, I guess I never considered that. So um, <laughs> that's a good point. Maybe I misjudged you. Maybe I was too quick on the draw to call you a villain, even though you're rooting against me constantly. No, no, no. I'm a villain. I'm I'm evil. I'm a villain. Evil. Right. Yeah. Anyway, back to the question at hand. Super villain. How did he tear his muscle? Was he reading in a weird position? Yeah, just reading a book, laying on the couch. I mean, I don't know what he was laying on, but, you know, reading. I assume he was reading a book as one normally reads a book. He wasn't like doing handstands or something no i would really understand if you tore your shoulder while you were doing a handstand while you were in a good book <laughs> did he fully recover like is you know he all better when did this happen yeah usually when you tear a labrum you have to undergo surgery to get a fix and then there's physical therapy but yeah you, you usually fully recover what book was he reading he was reading the book black book by james patterson okay and also uh, as a caveat to the fact his doctor said he probably actually tore it during one of his workouts but that the specific way he moved while reading the book is what like kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back oh and fully like ripped it okay yeah that makes way more sense than him just tearing it reading uh he actually said that i wish i it had fully torn during the workout because how demasculate uh, demasculating i think it was supposed to say emasculating but i have in my notes demasculating which doesn't really make sense (laughs) i think i typed that wrong uh how emasculating is it to have torn a muscle while just turning the page of a book i'm gonna say this fact is true you're gonna go true i've heard of that kind of thing happening a lot before where people will strain their muscles one time a long time ago and then it'll pop up when they were least expecting it so i'm gonna say that this one's true i guess i'm locking in four trues this week which is bizarre isn't it I mean, one of them that you locked in as true was wrong, so it's not that bizarre. That's a good point. <laughs> You're just going for like the probability way of playing the game, right? Where you just guess the same answer every time to decrease the amount of randomization and the potential outcomes? Well, no, because then there was the week that you gave me all truths, and then you gave me three spins in a truth. I can't just play it like that, because <laughs> the answers are always variable, too. It's true. But I'm locking in true again. Locking in true again! Well, again, this fact is spun. No! Yes. Why? Well, not why. It's obviously because you made it up this happened to a friend of mine uh, a colleague in the supervillain society uh-huh. you know, the alumni association right another doctor of villainy well he only got his masters but yes oh a master villain that sounds way better <laughs> than a doctor of villainy what no the doctors get to do all the cool science stuff in the superhero movies fair enough with that 50 percent again your a game only got you 50 50 at the end of the day darn it i wanted to do better than 50 50 this week that's really rough and that's really bad for you considering you went into this already knowing one of the facts yeah i'm not super thrilled with that i really i started on such a high note and i thought it's gonna be a great day and then it was like an average day 
It wasn't bad, but I've done better. I was a little defeated after that first one went so sideways, but I, I'm I'm happy now that I, I still got you twice. You still did. You still pulled out a decent day. And with that, I guess I'll hand the mic back over to Connor. Let him come back. Sounds good. I'm glad we could help you pay off your student loans for one more week. We'll see you next week, mixtaper. <laughs> yeah! Okay, well, that sound means the mixtaper's left. Everybody give a warm welcome back to Connor. Hey, I'm back. Hello. Did everyone, I want to say I missed you all, but I was here the whole time, of course. Yes, naturally. Should we talk about the album art? Yeah, I've been really excited to talk about the album art. We teased it at the end of the last episode. This is maybe one of my favorite album covers of all time. It is so just, I don't know, uncanny is a good word to describe it, I think. It's weird. (laughs) It's a little weird, but I think I can explain some of the weirdness. At the end of the last episode, you told me that there was an animal. I looked at the album art for a solid like two minutes before I could even determine it was a sheep. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> if you haven't seen the cover or if you've forgotten somehow what it looks like, it's a man in a sheep mask, you know, smoking a cigarette, and he's standing with a woman in a trench coat, and they're in front of this, like, dead tree. It's very kind of washed out with the light. But the woman's either really high up on a stool or really tall compared to the sheep man. Or the man is crouched. Yeah, she kind of towers over him a little bit. That's the album cover. Well, first off, I would like you to start referring to him as Business Lamb. Business Lamb? Because he's got a collared shirt and a tie? Yeah. Well, what business is he a part of? The world may never know. He's smoking. Seems like he's kind of on a break right now. A smoke break? I did wonder if maybe he was a member of the Outsiders. You know, he's got like the leather jacket. He's got the cigarette. Oh, yeah. Stay golden, Business Lamb. Lammy boy. (laughs) Lammy boy? Yeah, that's the Outsiders I remember. (laughs) No, I don't know for certain that this is what they were going for, but while I was trying to figure out what was up with this album cover, I ran across an old-timey fable. I think it's an old Yiddish fable, and it's called The Head and the Heart. And it's a story of two boys, and it kind of goes like this. Story time. Yeah, it is story time with Spinnet. There's two boys, and the first boy gets sent by his mother to go do a task. He has to go work for a farmer for the summer. I see. Pretty boring task. I only briefly skimmed the story, so if I missed any details and anyone out there knows enough about it to correct me. I expect a detailed book report. You're talking about English teachers and everything. I want a detailed book report with sources. You know, five sources, no Wikipedia. No, the mixtaper edited all the Wikipedia pages. <laughs> yes. So back to the story. You're a horrible listener right now. I am. I'm sorry. I'm just really, I keep looking over at the album art and getting distracted by it. It's something. So there are two little boys on a farm, and their mother says to the first son, hey, Go and work for this farmer for a couple weeks. Get some provisions to bring back to us. So the first boy goes, and along the road, he passes a pear tree. And the pear tree says, oh, hey, can you just prune some of my branches for me? And the boy says, I can't. I got a job to do. I got to go. He walks past a well, and the well is like, please, can you, you know, fill me up with some water? I'm just a well. I don't know. I'm just a well. I need some assistance. (laughs) And And the boy says, nope, sorry, I can't. I got a mission. I got to go. And he runs across a sheep. And the sheep says, hey, can you shear me? I've got too much wool on me. Can you take care of me a little bit? And the boy says, no, I'm going. I got a job to do. So he gets to the farm, works for the farmer, does this job. And he takes all these provisions back with him to his mother. And when he gets back the next day, he realizes that all the stuff that he took is like worthless. It's not as good as he thought it was when he left. So... Then the next little boy goes out, and he is also going to do the same job for the same farmer for some reason. (laughs) Classic parable. I know. And he also (laughs) walks past the tree, and the tree says, hey, can you help me? And he goes, yeah, sure, I'll help you. And he helps the tree out. And he goes 
past the well and then he helps the well out and he passes the sheep and he helps the sheep out and then he gets to the farmer does all his work takes all his rewards and those stay like the rewards that he takes are actually what the family needs and so the moral of the story is that the boy who uses his heart and cares for the things along the way actually gets to reap the rewards of his work while the boy that was the head and was focused on this task at hand that he had to go do got nothing Clever. I like that. I like that a lot. I do too. So I don't know 100% that that's what this album art is in reference to. However, the fact that there's a sheep on it and the band is named The Head and the Heart. That's the business sheep. The business sheep. I think that's a way to make this weird album cover make a little more sense. It's still weird. It's, it is weird. It does make... It's cool. It is cool. I know. Very cool. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, one of my questions was, what kind of tree did you think was in the background? But you kind of answered that it's probably a pear tree, right? I guess it could be a pear tree. I don't know. If you're going to go through all the trouble to dress up in a sheep mask, find a pear tree. I mean, come on. <laughs> that sentence makes no sense in any other context. That's a <laughs> sentence that only makes sense right here, right now. And even that's a little shaky. Yep. Uh, I also wondered if that was a silly band on her wrist, that little yellow thing. Silly bands. Seem time appropriate. I guess. Yeah, if this album is as old <laughs> as it is. 2011, I mean. It looks not like a silly band. It looks like the shirt that she's wearing underneath the trench coat. I mean, that's probably what it was. But, like, from a zoomed out picture that I'm looking at, there's just, like, a little yellow line on her wrist, and I immediately thought silly band. Do I need to take you to an optometrist? I was trying to think of a dumb joke to make about optometrists. Fuck, <laughs> come on with one. <laughs> that's right there are no dumb jokes about optometrists because eye care is important the head and the heart and the eyes i care about this album oh hey that's not bad uh i did have one other comment about this i almost missed the title in the upper left i was so focused on the rest of it i was like looking at it i was like what a weird album and that's like, oh wait the title of the album and the band is in the upper left yeah, and it depends on which version of the cover you're looking at that that's there. So if you're looking at the cover and being like, wait, I also can't see that, uh, you're not crazy. It's probably just a different one. Yeah, you just aren't special enough to be able to see the hidden. You're thinking with your head, not your heart. You're being like business lamb. Look at this album cover with your heart and you'll see the real cover. Hey, James. <laughs> what? Is it raining outside? Is this one of the times where you want me to say yes or you want me to say no? It doesn't really matter. Listen, I, if you guys ever wonder whether this podcast is scripted, it's not. No, it's not raining outside. Really? Because here it's raining cats and dogs. Oh, wow. Track one. <laughs> that sounds like a great segue to transition into talking about the album. Does it? Who knew? What a coincidence that you decided to bring that up. Yeah, Cats and Dogs is track number one. It's a bit of a breakup song of sorts about how people try to overcome their loneliness. You know, it's a song about making changes to cope with difficult circumstances. Indeed. What did you think of Cats and Dogs? I thought it was a good song. Yeah, I think it's a great gateway into the album. I really wanted it to be about actual cats and dogs, but... Well, I mean, it does have actual cat and dog sounds in it, briefly. Which I thought was interesting. I did too. The song starts with a lot of that percussion that we talked about, you know, the clicks and the snaps, and, and it comes in with an acoustic guitar. Okay, I do want to talk about that, not to cut you off, as I just did. <laughs> right. I am a big fan of layering in uh, instrumental music, which is kind of what they've done here. You know, they start with just the click, and then it kind of gets an echo to the click, like a second set of clicks has started, and then they add an instrument, and then they add another instrument. Like, it slowly builds itself up to what it's going to eventually be when it finally hits. Yeah. And I really like entrances like that. And especially to do it for the first song on the album, it's a 
fun way to kick the album off. It's like you're ramping up into it. They do that a lot. I said buckle up because you're in for a lot of acoustic guitar and percussion just like you see at the beginning there. It's really not until halfway through the song that the song really takes off. Again, it is that very melodic acoustic sound until like the close to two minute mark. It really takes off at some point. Yeah, he sings the entire first verse about, you know, I'll sweep my garden underneath the floorboards. This thing we've grown, I'm burying it. I don't need it anymore. And then he talks about the mouse that discovers that there's nothing to discover, which kind of implies that all the old stuff is gone. There's this emptiness as the narrator begins this transition. And then after he sings nothing there to discover is when it blows up kind of big and all the drums come in and the piano starts really big that's the moment i think where it starts to tip i love how the second verse starts to open things up and this song does a great job at keeping the hook going in the background it just so subtly that you can still hear it but it's not in your face and it's a great way to tie the whole song with a nice bow and then he sings don't know where they are don't know where they are and that drops all the drums in the guitar just for the vocals. And it's a really cool first moment, kind of, to highlight their really tight vocal harmonies. Right on track one. Yeah, they had really good harmonies. Yeah, they did. And they still do. I mean, all the way through all four albums, that's really a staple. I really like the sentiment, too, behind the line, my roots have grown, but I don't know where they are. Like, I've made all this progress, but now I have to reorient everything in the new context of being on my own. And it's more of that pastoral farmy type feel you know nature with sweeping your gardens under the floorboards the raindrops in your eyes growing roots roosters and stuff very bucolic i guess and yeah i don't really love the animal sounds on this track but i guess they fit i mean i liked them just because they were unique they don't i think add or subtract anything from the song itself i just was like oh interesting animal sounds neutral okay I think that's a good, yeah, I think I'm neutral on them too. I'm with you on that. Neutral with an edge towards like just because they were unique. I love the tempo change they do at the end on Take Away the Lonely Days where it almost shifts to this, I guess, 6-8 time signature. Everything kind of slows way down at the end of that. And it just kind of catches you off guard. But it's really unique to change time signatures like that in the middle of the song. And then they do a sneaky little transition into Coeur d'Alene. Is this the song that ended in transition to the next song really abruptly? Yes. I figured. It like, it's just like, we're, I'm like doing it, and then all of a sudden it's just like, well, bam, next song. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I don't know. I thought the transition was pretty smooth. Really? One of these songs, at least on my listen, it hit the end of the song. And like usually if there's a fade out and like a couple seconds of not really much playing as it transitions into the next song, it was like it started to do that and then just immediately hit the intro to song two. And I was like, what just happened? I don't, maybe it skipped or something. I don't know what Wait, happened. Wait, I think I know what happened to you. What happened to me? I encountered a problematic thing when i was listening before okay there's a version on spotify where the second song is a minute and 51 seconds long yeah that's wrong oh no the actual track <laughs> two is four minutes and 21 seconds so that's oh no i thought we finally had a week where nothing weird happened <laughs> that's almost exactly what i'm happened. pretty certain that's how it went down it got me too a couple times oh <sighs> I was thinking, like, I checked the list when you finally got the rundown ready to go. I was like, oh, good. All the songs were there that were supposed to be. It was great. I was like, I finally listened to the right thing. <laughs> and then I still didn't. Uh-huh. So what you're telling me is, even on this 10-track album, that you've you've listened to the wrong thing so many weeks. The problem is, this is the first time I've missed something. I've always just done extra credit when I messed it up. That's true. This is the first time I've missed something, and I don't like it. There was a lot of good stuff in the last three minutes of Coeur d'Alene. Because <laughs> I was going to ask you, I was so confused when I was looking at the Spotify plays, and this song only had 1,806 plays. <laughs> 
I was like, that doesn't seem right. Nope. So I was going to bring that up. Like, do people just really hate this song? Everyone skips it. Because I was going to be really confused because I love this song. I think it's a fun song. And I was like, why would everybody skip this? This is my favorite song on the album, I think. Really? It's up there. Ooh, I don't know about that. Ah. Anyway, it's sad that you didn't get to listen to the whole thing. So, I'm willing to give you a pass on the first minute and 51 seconds of the song now, if you wanted to listen to the entire song before we talk about it. That seems like work. Well, yes, <laughs> I guess. Oh uh, yeah, here, let me go listen to it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Boom. And I'm back. Audience, I, now I understand what you do every week. And you know what? I feel better about it. I don't feel like it's abandonment anymore. I've experienced the other side. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also, just for posterity, started the song by playing the song before and going to like the last five seconds of it to see the transition. And you're correct. It's much smoother than the random cut. Much smoother. <laughs> yeah. So Coeur d'Alene, this is a song whose title you may be inclined to look up. Let me save you the trouble if you haven't already. It's a city it is a city it's a small lake and a town in northwest idaho oh it's in idaho it is i just assumed it was in france or canada nope the name is based on french canadian fur trappers they gave the name to the region's native americans roughly it translates to a heart of an all that you would like punch holes with and nobody really knows what it means so that's the end of that story that story has an abrupt ending unlike the actual song <laughs> i really like that i like that song way more i mean i already kind of enjoyed it but i like it way more having heard the whole thing that's what i said you, you're missing like a whole nother song if you duck out with the first two minutes because it changes so much on the back half yeah. The whole song overall is about the ways that people will change themselves for others, specifically people that they love, you know. That's the whole point of the chorus. Oh, the songs people will sing for love. Yeah. What songs do you think they are singing? Cordeline. I'm sure they hope other head and heart songs, right? They're like, sing our songs. Probably. I'm singing Dua Lipa. <laughs> Going on three episodes now, we've talked about how much you like Dua Lipa. <laughs> One of the lines I really love in this song is where he says, I've given up my Bible, you've moved out of state. Because it's such a succinct way to illustrate how these two characters have grown. Like, presumably, they're old friends from the same place. And this quick little pair of details tells us a lot about how time has passed and they've both changed so much emotionally. And it's another example of a time that physical distance is used as a parallel to that emotional distance as people grow apart. I just really like the opening line, windblown whispers wind naked down the corridor. Like, what a bouncy phrase. It's plucky. The bounciness of that phrase really matches the punch of the piano, too, because it is just going to town on this track. I love it. Yeah. Uh, in the second half of verse one, when he says a sad sun smoldering soul. Yeah. I, I, I imagine we're supposed to get the image of a soul, like, burning, smoldering. Don't. Finish your sentence if your sentence is going to be, I pictured a shoe on fire. No, it wasn't going to be. going to be equally as dumb. I took the wrong term of the word smoldering and thought like a smoldering look. And I just thought it was like a, a sad, angsty boy. Thought it was another parallel to Nirvana. I guess another coincidental parallel. Uh, a son sitting around giving smoldering looks to people. No, his soul is smoldering. It's it's like burnt out. It's embers. Like it's not on fire like it used to be. You think they were going for like a burning in hell sort of thing? No, I don't think that necessarily. But I guess giving up your Bible kind of would play into that. That's why I was wondering. Giving up a Bible, then juxtapose just a couple lines later with a smoldering soul. Yeah, maybe. Oh. I don't know. It's you determine that for yourself, audience. This is one interpretation of the available evidence. Give you three bucks for your sympathy and another for a cigarette. Yeah, well, that's where you got that cigarette from in the album. Right? I love that line because he goes... 
the interaction feels so cold. Like you could just feel that tension. I don't know. It's very vividly descriptive. And the, the, I mean, three bucks for your sympathy is a pretty harsh thing to say to someone. Like if somebody's like sad or like somebody's trying to console you and you're just not wanting to hear it. And you're like, you know, I'll give you three bucks for your sympathy and you can just leave me alone. I don't know. It feels like a retort to somebody trying to. Right. Or like maybe if you don't think somebody's being genuine, you would say that to them. I don't know. It feels like a very harsh thing to say to someone. It's like the harsh version of pity for your thoughts. Yeah exactly you're not asking someone for their thoughts for a penny you're telling someone i'll give you three bucks to go away that's kind of what it feels like yeah i yeah i get that vibe from it a lot and it feels so cold oh 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 i really like the line we're only here to find the love that lingers after the moment that's kind of what the whole song is built around too like everyone has these moments of love the heat of passion you know but everyone's searching for the one that sticks and when they find it they go all in to keep it that's the songs that they'll sing the things they'll do for the ones they love is once they find the love that lingers I didn't care for verse two. No? What about it did you not care for? One, that it was shorter than verse one. Two, that they just like stretched out the lines. Uh, like stretched out the word after. They stretch out the moment a lot. Like, it was like they didn't know what they wanted to say there. So they just stretched out a word to fill the rhythm that they needed for the verse. I don't know. They do. It's definitely not as wordy as the first couple verses. They expertly crafted verse one. I mean, verse one is very well crafted. And then verse two is just, we're going to say a couple of lines and hold out the words when we didn't have enough syllables. Yeah, in that way, it's different than a lot of other stuff we saw that just takes syllables for the sake of having syllables. This one was like, we can't be bothered. They spent all their money on the sympathy and the cigarette, so they didn't have enough money for syllables. Right. I really love the way that this song ends right around the three minute mark. See, you totally would have missed the ending, but it switches <laughs> into this different piano sequence and they break into you're in my soul now. You've got to waste away with me. My mind's made up. I'm staying here with you. Like the whole time we go through the verses, there's this wavering, you know, the distance that's between us. I had a moment of passion that didn't linger, but then this cold interaction and another moment of passion where he goes, kiss me in the back room where the music plays. But here there's a commitment that solidifies the entire chorus. My mind's made up. I'm doing this with you. There's no use knowing which way the wind is blowing. Like, this is what I'll do for love. I'll commit to this moment here and now and allow this passion that we found to linger. It feels like the whole song gets resolved in this outro, almost, this ending. I love how it comes full circle with the windblown whispers winding naked through the corridor. Yeah. But with the not knowing which way the wind is blowing. You don't know which corridor it's going to go down, so why try to figure it out? Yeah, why try to control it? I also have decided it's not burning in hell, the smoldering soul in the Bible. No. Because he says it says on smoldering soul. I think the smoldering is like the, you know, like they say, like love burns fiery in your heart or whatever, you know, like the love and fire are very used metaphor. And then at the end of here, he says, you're in my soul now. Like what was smoldering was his love for this other person. And now they're fully there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's the thing about a smoldering fire is it can still be relit. It can still be rekindled back to its full burn. All it needs is a mm -hmm. little kindled. Yeah, so that's what I think that they were going for there rather than burning in hell. Yeah, I like both of those interpretations of it. Maybe it was neither of those things. Maybe it was both. Could be. Could be. The only people that know that are the head and the heart. Everybody tweet the head and heart band. Everybody message the head and heart band on Twitter. Just at them over and over until we get answers. You're going to get right? a shut down. Oh, no. And how would the mixtape pay his student loans? But that said, if you are a fan of any of these bands, yeah, definitely go follow them and check them out. Tell them to listen to the episode. Yeah. <laughs> 
You tell us what to listen to. You give us album <laughs> recommendations. But everyone that we talk about on the podcast, you go give them podcast recommendations. And it's ours. We're, uh, we're the recommendation. <laughs> clever, clever marketing strategy. Track number three is called Ghosts. And I'm sure, like you already mentioned, much smoother transition into it coming down from the full version of Cordeline. Yes. The time signature on this song is wild. Did you hear the way that it just kind of ebbs and flows? Yeah, it's very, it has almost like a swing vibe to it. Yeah, and a lot of that is that piano. Like I described that piano as it comes in, it does a bunch of minor chords, right? And I kind of think of that as like rolling. It just feels like it's tumbling down a hill a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, when the song started, I was like, this just sounds like me if I was hitting random piano keys. I can't play the piano. I was like, this sounds like what I would do if I was trying to play the piano. And then like it kept going and it got better. Yeah, it's a little more structured than that at its core. Yeah, it got more structured after about 10 seconds when the song started to ramp up. It feels haphazard. Especially when if you're coming off of the hard transition that I had to come off of, all of a sudden they were just dub da 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 And I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> this song is another one about growing up and experiencing change. This is one I really like. I also really like this one. Not, I guess, in music so much. Like, you already kind of called that Cordaline was one of your favorite songs. This one is in contention. I know. This is going to be, you know in Dua Lipa where you said that every song was your favorite when we started talking about it? This is almost that for me. Every time we start talking about a new song, I remember how much I like it. I had three songs that were my three favorites the classic connor top three yeah classic connor top three but honestly i'm having a hard time because i can't decide if i want to put cordelline in the top three now that i've heard the whole song Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's really thrown a wrench in my top three uh well the first verse talks about boys planning on leaving their hometown and as they enter into these new lives the old version of them the one that the narrator knows metaphorically quote unquote dies and that's where the ghost comes from kind of that's the overarching metaphor of the song it's like the ghost of your past self yeah because he talks about andy built his coffin down in carolina and then mary moves to chicago and each of them changes fundamentally along the way so the person that he knows the version of them that he knows is their ghost because they don't exist anymore Also, again, death and Bible and moving away in between. Yeah, I think that makes it feel like this whole record is very personal to them. You know, this feels very meaningful and like written from their own experience. Yeah. Collectively, maybe as a group of musicians. But also it's just a very human thing to experience. People moving away and changing, especially at a point in your life where you would be, you know, going to school in the Pacific Northwest for the first time, starting a band, like really wrestling with the concept of the head or the heart. Do I follow the emotions? Do I do the the logical thing? Like, I think it's all very consistent throughout this album. It changes from the minor chords in the beginning rolling around like we talked about to this borderline vaudevillian show tunesy style and there's major chords all throughout that so it's totally a shift and that's the part where they go one day we'll all be ghosts tripping around in someone else's home you know we'll all grow and change and be in new places that our current selves could never imagine it's just this really clever implication that all of us right now are just ghosts for our future selves but then he ends it with a shift it goes one day we'll all be found which kind of implies that becoming a ghost is necessary to finding ourselves as we grow and change yeah yeah down in the valley is track number four a nice track about wanting to have a simple life or like return to a simpler time and the music really reflects that with its super acoustic style Yes, I like slow songs like this. And it has a very somber tone to it. Yeah, it does. I guess it romanticizes the good old days, I guess, without doing it in a way that's lighthearted. It does feel very serious. The subtlety of the violin when it comes in after the first verse is top-notch. It, like, just sneaks in there. Very carefully done. 
Oh, the violin is so pretty when it comes in. Right, hats off to Charity on that one because it is it's swell. I love the falsetto on the oboes as well too. Oh, I was just about to talk about that. Yeah, there's another crazy time change right before it, and his falsetto is stellar. And this is the first time he really uses it, although it comes up again later in the record on plenty of other OO sections. This is not the only one. Yeah, oh, he he really likes the OO. He's an OO. That's a noun, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I really love how this one kind of like you talked about, like it dies down, the layers slowly get stripped away, and then it builds all the way back up into I'm on my way towards the bridge, you know what I mean? It gets really big again. This song has a very nice ebb and flow to it, a rise and fall, which is nice because it starts so acoustically like he's just in the present daydreaming about the past and then when it hits big it almost feels like we're transported back to the past and he goes i'm on my way it's still big like i'm working towards that simple life i feel like it's just cool how the music parallels that just like we said cordeline comes full circle this one also does because he ends it the same way that he began Mm -hmm. and it really does feel like he returns to that simpler time yeah, this song is uh, song number two of Connor's classic top three. Down in the Valley's top three for you. So yeah, Ghost and Down in the Valley top three. Wow, you're burning through your top three really early. Yes, I am. I'm curious to see what the third one is, but we'll get there when we get there. Yes, and we'll get there right now because it's Rivers and Roads. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Rivers and Roads is the last one on your top three, is it? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's one of the most popular ones, right? I guess I agree with a lot of people. Yep. And a lot of TV shows. Yeah, I can't say I'm surprised. If you made a TV <laughs> show, would you put Rivers and Roads in it? Nah. Oh, okay. <laughs> My TV show would be River and Road Free. No rivers, no roads. Only lakes and sidewalks in my TV show. (laughs) Lakes and sidewalks, that's it. No, you can't have a sidewalk without a road. What are you walking alongside of? The grass? What kind of question is that? (laughs) Like, I don't know. I feel like a sidewalk's called a sidewalk because it's beside the road. What would you call a sidewalk that was just like through the middle of a field? A path? Listen, you're buying into the lies that Big Asphalt is selling you. (laughs) Big Asphalt. Yeah, no, like, you're, you're correct. Rivers and Roads is probably the most popular song on this record, maybe their most popular overall. And the really straightforward lyrics describe friends moving to better places, but they're still gone away from the speaker. Nothing's the same, he misses them, and he acknowledges that... Again, fitting the theme. Yeah, he acknowledges that nothing can really be done about it, but he still expresses this desire for things to go back to the way they were. I like this song a lot. It's hard to not say this is my favorite, but I promise it's not. I'm sticking to my guns and holding down Coeur as my favorite he once again has some oos in here they're not falsetto oos they're just normal oos that's true they're there i do love how long they hold off on this song like it really doesn't pick up much steam until a minute and 15 seconds when they start to put more vocal harmonies in it and a snare click but they just do such a subtle ease into the song you know uh-huh. vocal and guitar if there's one thing the audience knows about me it's that i like ballads and this folksy somber music is basically ballad oh this song is nothing if not a ballad yeah i mean this whole album though like the folksy somber vibe even if it's not truly a ballad has like ballad connotations to it just because of what it is yes they do a really great job of building it up like i mentioned at the end of the first verse but building into that second verse they do talking about the way things change and they really lean into change it's so great there's such nice emotion behind that and they kind of do the Dua Lipa thing that she did in Cool, where the music lands after they do the main lyrical part. Change goes really big, and then, boom, they play the rest of the music. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of your second favorite song? I think this is probably a good bid for the second favorite song, yes. That's interesting, because this is actually the one that I was considering replacing with Cordelline in my top three. Oh, so this would drop to number four? Yeah, for one reason, it's about a minute too long. Oh, 
I see. Oh, whoa. Yeah, I did that intentionally. <laughs> yeah, they repeat rivers and roads like a million times. Rivers till I reach you. Yeah, but it's so good. It's yeah, emotional. It, it, it is. It's really good for the first 45 seconds they do it. The extra whole minute they do it. Uh, This could be a like three minute and 45 seconds song with 45 seconds of rivers and roads and they could cut like a whole minute of them just saying river and roads over and over sir have you no heart have you only a head yes i am being business lamb right now and thinking only with my but head but it's so good it is I good i it. know it's and just, it, it just it needs to indulge a little bit at the end i can all i know and i do like it you know there are times when i like when they repeat things and i was with it i was indulging i was like yeah, sing Rivers and Roads at me for 45 seconds straight. <laughs> Hit me with it. I love it. Send me down the river. Drive me down the road. <laughs> Forget the lakes. Forget the sidewalks. I want the rivers and roads. Yes. But then they <laughs> did it a whole like another minute. And at that point, that's when I was like, no, big asphalt was right. Lakes and sidewalks. That's where it's at. Uh, uh, I know. I knew you were going to be disappointed in me saying that. And it's so on brand for me to say that, too. It really is. I did put in my notes to say, did this get repetitive for you? And I thought it might have. Uh, it did. But I, I was with it for longer than I normally am. One of the things that kept me with it was the drums. The instrumentation is the only thing that kept it. The drums on this part are impeccable. I cannot peck them. <laughs> you can't. They almost have this march style going, you know? There's a little bit of a drum roll and a lot of cymbal crashes. I love them. I think the drums on Rivers and Roads, especially the end, are the best they are anywhere on the record. I would agree with that. And even at the end, they fade out even more and do Rivers and Roads a cappella, just with the voices. And it's such a cool moment to highlight that. It's so unique. And I'm perfectly fine with that. Keep that, but move it up in the song by a minute. It loses some effectiveness, <laughs> some of its charm. I don't know. I don't think it does when it's already been going on for so long. And it already takes them like three minutes to get to Rivers and Roads for the first time. The chorus is already buried behind so many verses. I don't know. Agree to disagree, but I think Rivers and Roads is appropriately repeated. Funny that we got into a fight right there. Track six is all about people that got into a fight. A couple that's broken up. Track six is Honey Come Home. There's a nice simple guitar and a shaker on this one. It's a way softer texture than the tambourine and other like handheld percussion that they've been using so much. But then the simpleness of that shaker really makes the kick drum that comes in really heavy. It really accentuates the kick drum when it does start eventually. And I really love the way that they hang onto the chords. They hold them out just a little longer than you might anticipate. So it kind of creates this interesting tension. Yeah, and this is an interesting use of the theme of being apart. Like a lot of them have been uh, like, oh, we're apart, but you still, you know, uh, you're still smoldering in my heart or you know you've gone away and changed or what they've done all these different unique ways of talking about distance and being apart and now this one's kind of about like being like come back you know you've left Uh uh-huh yeah almost in the same vein as cats and dogs was where we have a lonely protagonist or someone that's been affected by someone else leaving but in this scenario it seems it's more like they were like you're married the line about the kids say hello to us in our separate homes yeah i've cleaned out the fridge and the counters and stuff i've i've done all this other stuff do you remember every block we walked down when we were young all the things that probably the, all the pet peeves that you probably hated you know that i'd never put my clothes away and never cleaned the fridge yeah i'm making the changes that are supposedly why you left in the first place 
Yeah, and at one point, I think it's called verse 7 in the lyrics that I was looking at. The lyrics go, I love my vices, but they've taken me to places that I never thought I'd go, and I'm ready to be home. It's this acknowledgement of, hey, I know I've done things wrong, but I've fixed that, I've cleaned my act up, and I'm ready to go home. And home is, instead of being a place, home is with this other person. And then, again, death comes back up at the very end of the song with I just want to die with the one I love. Just want to die with the one I love beside me. I guess it's I guess it comes up earlier, but it really comes up at the end when he just starts saying it over and over. Like, he really wants to die with the one he loves. Yeah, and I guess that implies marriage, again, this commitment to being with them forever, or at least for the rest of your life. Yeah, they're very good about finding ways to keep using the same themes in each song, but yet keeping it fresh. Yeah, absolutely. Everything is centered around these themes of change and moving on and growing up. And and they really haven't deviated from it, you know? There, a lot of albums that we've done have had recurring themes, but like not every song would have it. Right. There's not really been a song yet that's deviated. No, and I don't think we'll really get that anywhere else later in the album either. Not that I can think of. No, remarkably consistent. They keep it fresh. They put it in different perspectives so that the things they're saying don't get stale. Well, Lost in My Mind is track number seven. Lost in My Mind starts with the guitar almost identically, I think, to Honey Come Home. This song seems like it's super popular based off of plays on Spotify. Yeah. It rivals River and Roads. This is another one that gets a lot of plays, and understandably so. I mean, it's pretty good. I don't know. This one just didn't do it for me. Really? It wasn't like bad. I have no real critiques about it necessarily. It just didn't do it for me. Interesting. Lost in my mind alternates a lot between the one and the four chord, which in this case is a D and a G. And you'll hear some major seventh chords thrown in there too. Classic spin it podcast to tell you there are major seventh chords and then be unable to really explain to you what to listen for with those. I want to do a music theory based pseudo episode where I kind of talk about that in more detail and exemplify it. But we'll see. Stay tuned. But the alternating between the one and the four changes when he says, don't worry about me, because it goes up a half step to an A, to the five chord. So they stick to these same building blocks, but they just infuse them with different flavors to make this progression sound distinct from all the others. So it's not identical to Honey Come Home. They add in some tricks there to change it up just enough. It's pretty much a conversation between the narrator and his brother, his brother who is quote-unquote older and wiser, and his brother is apparently in some industrial pursuit, right? Modernizing and industrial imagery. Well, yeah, and it's all about have you gotten this done? Have you gotten that done? You know, have you got the engine running? Have you got the bridge built? And then, you know, the other one's like, there's stars up above. We can start moving forward. We can start doing it. Like, that's almost more like the heart. Yeah, the speaker is lost in his mind with the stars up above, you know? And it kind of felt to me like the song has this message of no matter how much things are progressing and changing around me, I can still look at the same stars and still get lost in my mind in that. Like, that's always going to be there regardless of how much changes in the world, how many bricks are laid or bridges or built or anything like that uh this song just didn't do it for me i said i don't have anything to back back it up you just didn't like it huh i thought I, I didn't like it I, I, like this isn't like a song i didn't like it just exists i'm neutral about it well how did you feel about winter song then this song is in would be in connor's bottom three really the bottom three but it's so similar in a lot of ways to rivers and roads uh not in enough ways or maybe in the wrong ways i don't i don't know uh, something that i've not really talked about a lot with some of these other songs but i guess i could bring up now is that really as a whole like i'm talking about things i liked about the album and stuff and there's a lot of good stuff about the individual songs and the album as a whole yeah but i found it very hard to listen to really 
I did. Why? Something about how folksy and melodic it was the entire way through. There was no like break to that made it really hard to maintain focus. Like I'd be writing notes about a song and zone out mid writing notes as I was listening to it. It was struggling to keep my focus because it was so just melodically folksy vanilla the whole time. You know, that's crazy. I know. Yeah, because I've always thought of this album as one that flies by. Like I put it on to start listening to it the other day and it was just done before I knew it. No, it absolutely flies by because you zone out and forget it's playing. And next thing you know, an entire album's gone by. That's part of what I'm saying is that I would be listening to it, taking notes. And next thing you know, I'd be on the next song and I was only halfway through the previous song when I zoned out. It flies by like under the radar. At least that's what it did for me. Ah, interesting. I don't know. I guess this one's always kind of captivated me, but everybody listens to music differently. So, I mean, yeah, I guess if we have the same experience of it flying by, the difference is in our interpretation of that experience. I mean, I'm agreeing with a lot of what you're saying in terms of like what's good about the album and about like, I I like this, I like that. You know, we're agreeing on a lot of stuff, but I think our experiences while listening were vastly different. (laughs) That seems to be the case. I like Winter Song, but I don't know if there's a ton to say about it. You know, it's another slower song, and it's really Charity's first chance to shine with the lead vocal on the second verse. She takes it and she runs with it. Yeah. And this whole song felt like a vocal showcase. Since it's stripped down so much, it's just a finger-picked guitar most of the way through. It's just the arpeggio on the guitar. I really like the closeness of this song. Like, the whole album just feels very cozy and, you know, like you're around a campfire with the band and they're just singing this song. And I'd agree with that. It does have that cozy, and I, th- I think that has to do with the folksy nature of it, right? And it feels like something you would snuggle up around a campfire and listen to, right? Yeah. But maybe that's part of why it's hard to maybe maintain focus on it for me, because it's that the entire way. Like I said, it's vanilla the whole way through it is what it is and it doesn't change ever Mm. and so you get lulled into this like almost dream state you're lost in your mind sure yeah you're lost in your mind you're you're lost in your mind to sit down and be like i want to listen to music right now i want to like listen to an album i don't know if this would be the album for me that all makes sense i understand that and i've got albums like that too that are my background music records you know Ooh, one last thing about winter song though i know i mentioned that it's kind of like a vocal showcase but also what a great stage for the guitar to shine because they close the end of this song with a 40 second i guess you'd call it a guitar solo they play the arpeggiated guitar all the way out to the end to a really nice satisfying resolution but it's just a cool way to show off their musical skill on a guitar i think we got some woos and o's coming up on sounds like hallelujah yeah he's back at it again surely you did not fall into a trance during the woos on sounds like hallelujah (laughs) so i was just about to say that after i just went on that giant exposition about how this album was vanilla the whole time this was the song that probably was the least vanilla yeah it had several sections that would kind of wake you up if you started to fall into a daydream state. Yeah, I gotta say, about Sounds Like Hallelujah specifically, it almost feels like something Billy Joel would do, where there's all kinds of different sections that are put together. You know, it's not a normal bit where two of these sections are the same and they get repeated over and over again. There are separate, distinct pieces to this song that get assembled. I feel a little bad, too, because I feel like this song was tainted for me from the get-go. Why? I would classify Hallelujah as... Probably my top 20 ballad songs of all time. Oh, the one from Shrek. Sure. Yes, the one from Shrek. (laughs) And so the fact that the word Hallelujah is in this, and this is a very melodic album to begin with, I couldn't help but like compare it to that the whole time. And I know that's not fair to it. It's not. Nor does it even really make sense to do. If you do misinterpret the song title, I guess it 
does claim to sound like Hallelujah, and it certainly <laughs> does not. So I guess I can't really fault you. False advertising. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna sue the head in the heart. No, we're not. That's you're thinking with your heart. Think with your head. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting about this song is in most of these other songs, the speaker gets left, but in Sounds Like Hallelujah, it sounds more like the speaker is the one doing the leaving. He seems to realize that he belongs in a different situation and walks away because he hears Hallelujah for the first time. And he's not sad now because he's excited for the future, but he eventually works to the point where he realizes, I'll miss you someday, which seems to be really self-aware, given that so many of these other songs have been so reminiscent of all the older things that have passed. Yeah, uh, this song um, ended up being, honestly, probably one of my least favorite songs on the album. I think we're almost in the same camp on that one. It's maybe not my least favorite, but it is down there when you have to rank, you know, all ten of them. It's in the bottom third, maybe. But I do also like the first melody that they put forward. I called it a verse, but it's really just the first section that they sing because I'm never expecting it. You know, we talked about Casey Musgraves and Dua Lipa all having these melodies that you could pick out and you expect, which makes them super catchy. But I think the opposite is working really well here. The melody is something really unexpected. And while it's not necessarily as catchy in terms of being something, you know, sing-alongable, it really takes you on a roller coaster every time with the unexpected turns and drops that they put into this verse. I do think the woo on the chorus is a little bit aggressive, but I do kind of like it. I'll agree with that. The real aggressive woo. Then we really mix it up on the second verse with the xylophone. Did you hear that? The xylophone on the second verse? Wild. You know, now that you mention it, yeah, it is a pretty wild xylophone. I don't think I even really noticed that there was a xylophone. Well, for the most part, it plays along with the piano, so it can kind of get lost behind that a little bit, especially if you're just listening for the first time. This is some more really professional violin work, too. The transition into the Sounds Like Hallelujah part of the song is where I noticed it. So good. And this is where it starts to get really earwormy and sing-alongable. The stuff that's missing from that first bit comes in spades in the second section. Yeah, she nails it. And I love, I cannot stress enough how much I enjoy the section that goes, I'll miss you someday. And he just repeats it over and over. I think that maybe, maybe is my favorite section of any song on the album. It's so good. The piano and the xylophone combination plays these high notes over the chorus. It's incredible. I mean, that's the puzzle piece that really like links the entire thing. And it just makes the song for me. That is so good. That said, though, yes, I still would put it in the bottom three or four for me, I think. Well, we're well on our way to closing out the tracks on this album, uh, and we're well on our way. Sure is a line they like to say in Heaven Go Easy on me. <laughs> oh. Repeat that over and over and they over. They do say we're well on our way a lot. Yes. Well, let's start at the beginning. This is the album closer. For me, I think this is the most underwhelming track. Really? Because I like this one. Well, I don't like it as much musically. Musically, I think it's the most underwhelming. Let me clarify. Lyrically, I do think it is the perfect way to wrap up the album for a lot of reasons. Really? But musically underwhelming. Yes. The bass does some cool things, and usually there's plenty of good vocal harmony, but... He's got the, oh, it's so fun. I guess my point is, I still like it, but if you were going to force me to cut any track from this album, I would 100% lose this one with no question, no hesitation. This is the one you'd cut, really? Yes. Interesting. Because this is the one that, like, I feel like of all of them, you can really crank up and just kind of cry sing out to, you know? Just, oh, just, just wail? Oh, this yeah, is you your wail, wail song. It, you know? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I guess I get that. <laughs> I really wanted to make a whale joke there. You just be blubbering in the car. Ooh. <laughs> Come on, that's funny. That's uh, really funny. It's good. 
but I still like it. End of the day, I still like it. They say right here in the song, don't follow your head, follow your heart. They let you know right away which team they're on. They're not on Team Business Sheep, right? Because we determined Business Sheep was the head. That's what we did. <laughs> no, we didn't determine any of that. Listen, maybe I didn't get the parable. <laughs> I do like the line, or be thrown out with the bathwater. I always thought, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater was always a really fun expression. It's a very strange expression, yes. I always found it kind of a bit ridiculous, so it was fun to see that pop up in the song. I love the way they change things up when they sing, when you're sitting all alone in your room on your bed. It gets flat there for a second. But lyrically, I do think it's worth mentioning that at the end, he does this quiet little, all these things are rushing by in the background, and all things must end, darling. And I think all things must end is such a beautiful sentiment to put right at the tail end of this album. You know, the whole record has been about growing and changing and progress, but the flip side of losing the old is that there's the exciting future that's ahead. So I think it's really awesome to bring this to a head right as the album closes. All the good things that we're experiencing now will soon be over, but we're headed for better days, which is, I think, heaven in the metaphor of you know heaven go easy on me but heaven go easy on me is kind of an expression that i hope moving on is an easy process as i'm moving forward and i think that's just a really profound really thorough way to wrap up everything this album has kind of been about yeah and with that said i feel like we should get on to final spin territory all right the final spin this is where we wrap up the album give you our favorite songs and our final scores so let's start off with favorite songs you've got your top three yep track three four and five right very early on Uh, i mean there's only 10 total five would be halfway and you did make some changes to that as we were doing the episode right what is your final final three yeah, yeah. I'm going to think I'm going to keep it the same. Really? Okay. I think I'll give Corda Aline the honorable mention. I like to do that every once in a while. Okay, you do an honorable mention, yes. But which one's your favorite? Uh, who's to say? Definitely not me. Who's... <laughs> Well, if you're not to say, then no one is to say. So, no favorite pick from Connor, but a top three. I'm sticking to my guns. Cordeline is my favorite. So let's talk scores. Scores. First up is music. Music's an interesting one for me to score on this because, like I said, they use a lot of the one, four, five, and six minor chords. A lot of things that you hear a lot, but they mix it up very few times, but in times that are very meaningful. You know, sometimes something will be flat or minor, or there will be a tempo change that's really clever and unexpected. So it's kind of a mixed bag of a lot of things. And there's just a lot to consider when you think about music. You know, all the harmonies that are so well crafted and put together, all the melodies that are so catchy and memorable. I think I'm giving music an 88. An 88? That's not bad. That's not bad at all. That's pretty high. I don't know. I just, there's something intangible about this album that I can't really put my finger on that I just like. Lyrically, it's very thematically consistent, like we talked about. They use a lot of really interesting imagery. You know, everything from I've cleaned off the countertops to there's a mouse looking for crumbs under my cabinets to rivers and roads. I mean, there's a lot going on. But I really like the pastoral themes and the ways that all this bucolic stuff keeps coming up and how well it fits in with the music. You know, I feel like they've really taken that into account when they wrote the lyrics. So I'm giving lyrics an 86. For production, I love how stripped down this album sounds. And that's not to say it's not produced, because a lot of the production is evident in the ways that they build songs up one instrumental part at a time. But I don't know. There's some spots in the middle, I think, where I would love more pieces of the harmony or different things to be emphasized. I think production's getting an 83 from me. Let's talk about the vibe of the album. Like we already talked about, really consistent, really close and cozy like around the campfire with the band. Also, you know, that's how the band sounds live. Like, they are a really great live band. I think the vibe, like we said, it puts you almost in that trance state where you're done with the album before you even realize it's halfway over. I think vibe is excellent, and I'm giving it a 90. 
Take all those scores together, Music 88, Lyrics 86, Production 83, Vibe 90. I sent that over to our friends in the math department, and the math department crunched some numbers, and they came back and said my final score is an 88.3. 88.3. Yes, sir. And not to sound like a broken record, but uh, that still puts it, I believe, above Dua Lipa. I think Dua Lipa only got like an 86. Yeah, yeah. Not every album is going to rank lower than Dua Lipa. I'm sorry. That is the nature of this podcast. Uh, they would if Dua Lipa was number one, like it should be. 88.3. Yes, higher than Dua Lipa. Yes, higher than several others that we've done. But that's okay. That's what this is all about. Tell me how you would score this album, Mr. I don't have a consistent unit. <laughs> Um, well, keep in mind, audience, that my score is based off of one listen. I'm going to give it six OOs out of ten. Way more than six OOs on this one, bud. You're talking more like 60. Yeah, yeah. And really, really, no, I can't do it justice, but it really would be six OOs out of ten, right? You got to go falsetto (laughs) on it. Yeah, you got to try. Let's let's wrap. All right, so that's an 88.3 from me and a 6 from you. A little different, but not too bad. Sounds like you're kind of on the verge of a 7, teetering. Maybe, I don't know. But that's the head and the heart. That's our first little taste of indie folk music for you this podcast. So hope you liked it. Hope you enjoyed it. If you like this podcast, share us with a friend. Tell someone to check out some new music and a new podcast that goes hand in hand with that new music. Uh, Yeah, you know, maybe you're listening to this on our new website. That's correct. We did just launch a brand new website. If you wanted to check it out, you could type into your browser or whatever internet access you use, www www.spinitpod.com and that'll pull up a fancy new website with everything that you would find on all of our other links conveniently compiled in one location and lots of other stuff too you know, it's a one-stop shop for everything spin it one-stop shop for spin it if you're really looking to keep spinning that's the easiest way to do it spinitpod.com keep spinning have a great week we'll see you next time keep spinning everybody Just keep spinning, keep spinning. what do we do we spin 